As I said last week, the title of this series sounds very arrogant. The reason for everything. But as you have seen, that the world has important questions. We've got important questions that sometimes cause us to doubt. Or if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe some of the questions you have have caused you, caused you to doubt. And this movie shows the story of a guy who went and actually looked at the evidence. So during the course of this series, we're doing things a little bit differently. We're looking at the evidence that points towards the truth that our Bible already points towards. What we normally do on a Sunday is we take a passage of Scripture, read through it, just try and understand it, and then try and apply it in our lives so that we're different because of it. During the course of this series, we're looking more at the evidence. Because here's the thing, when you go to your work colleague and you say, but the Bible says, they, says, they say, well, why should I trust the Bible? Who cares what the Bible says? And so if, as we looked last week, since Augustine, you said God gave us two books, the written book and the natural book. If these do agree, then we should find incredible amounts of evidence in the natural world that points towards the God that we worship. So that's what this series is about, investigating these questions that uh, are sometimes very difficult to answer. And to bring us into this morning, I want to talk about an article that I read a number of weeks ago. It is an article about a girl whose name is Monroe Christine. And Monroe Christine was bought and paid for by two men. One man, he was a reality TV star, and the other was his husband or his partner. And they chose Monroe Christine's mother out of a catalogue. And Monroe Christine's birth was on a reality TV show. And while her birth mother was agonizing in his birth pains, these men were making discriminatory remarks about this woman and about all that she was going through in that time. That moment of being born on a reality TV show will forever shape the life of Monroe Christine because every single decision that she makes her wardrobe and the parties that she goes to is going to be on a reality TV show. They managed to find an Episcopal priest who would baptize her as a young infant on TV. And there is this picture of this baptism interspersed with pictures of the mother weeping when she sees her ultrasound. And when she, uh, uh, when she was screaming in birth just the scenes shooting between this baptism again on TV. You see, one day Monroe Christine is going to watch her own birth on TV and ask the question, how is it that my life turned out this way? Why is it that I don't have a life like everybody else? She's going to continue to be a marketing commodity until someone decides that the show is no longer profitable or somebody else needs to take center stage. The question we're asking this morning with a very depressing beginning is this, do humans have dignity? Do humans have worth and value? And if we say yes, where do we get that value from? On what basis do we say that humans are special and valuable and worthy? So I want to let you know, on the front end, here's my, here's my hand. This is where we're going this morning, and we'll walk through this together. What I want to do today is, number one, show that for most of us here, and for most people in this world across the continents, we all believe in human dignity. 
Number two, I want to show us that there is no such thing as human dignity without God. And number three, I want to show us that Christianity imparts the highest value and the greatest worth to the human being. So that's the journey before us. We all believe in human dignity. There's no such thing as human dignity without God. And number three, Christianity imparts the highest value and the greatest worth. So let's start with that point number one. We all believe in human dignity. See, here's the thing. When we talk about human dignity, every worldview, what is a worldview? It's a a way of viewing the world. And it's a way not of just answering one question. It's a way of answering all questions. It's not just about giving a reason for one thing. It's about giving a reason for all things. That's what we mean by a worldview. And we've got religious worldviews and we've got a variety of them. We've also got a bunch of kind of in-betweeners. We'd call those agnostics, those who would say, I'm not too sure if there is a God, but I'm not too sure whether you can even prove there is a God or not. And of course, there is an atheistic worldview, A meaning no, no God, no theist, no theos. I sometimes might use the word a non-theistic worldview. I might talk about a naturalistic worldview. Just to go back to last week, trying to explain everything, not just one thing, but everything by purely natural means. We never talk about a supernatural. We never talk about anything outside of our cosmos. We only talk about causes within our cosmos. And every worldview needs to be able to give an account For this fact, if there is human dignity, can you explain why we treat humans in special ways? At least most of us. Should this story even shock us? I've got a black Labrador. And um, I mean, just imagine, this would be kind of strange, but imagine I was able to secure that this journey with our black Labrador could be on TV make a reality TV show, so I bought this little black Labrador, and there she is, and there's her mother, and she's got, you know, a few sisters and brothers, and out she comes. Wow, what a beautiful moment. You know, and then she suckles in there, and then, you know, a few weeks later, there's dramatic music, and there's moments as she's taken away from her mother, and, you know, a flash to scenes of her looking very sad and very confused in her new home. And then, of course, you see scenes now. The little boy's playing with her. And she starts to feel like this is now her home. And, you know, I've paid for her. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to clothe her, but I'm, I'm going to feed her. And, 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 and we're going to have scenes of her with the family. And there's going to be scenes of her wrecking the garden. And then us disciplining her and us trying to teach her. Her growing up and learning life. There's going to be maybe scenes where maybe she has some sickness that she goes through. And and again, very dramatic on TV, right? Now, if that was a reality, I think most of you would find that very boring to watch. But I don't know if anyone here would find that offensive. And yet, why is it that we find it so offensive when you take a little girl who had no choice in the matter, and from the day of her birth, she is a star of a reality TV show? There are these questions, when I was reading this article, the article ends off with these questions. Who is a person and who is an accessory? Who is an end and who is a means? Who is a girl and who is a pet? That is the question. See, I would argue that most of us live as if there is something dignified about humanity something different. Maybe we don't always know how to define it or describe it. 
You see, when, when, a, when a lion eats a buck, no, no one's taken to trial. It doesn't make the headlines. In fact, if we were there, out of the cameras, ching, 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 wow, we saw a kill. And in fact, if a lion had to kill another lion for whatever reason, it might gross some of us out, but again, we're going to go to bed that night and sleep like a baby. Again, no lions dragged off for murder. What do we say to ourselves in those moments? Well, that's just how the natural world works. And even if I don't like it, that's just what happens. So let it happen on its own. Let us not interfere. And yet when an animal, be it a, a snake or, or a lion or a, 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 you know, a scorpion or something, kills a human being, man, there's a total travesty. And when a human being kills another human being, that's a double tragedy. And that's the kind of thing that makes news headlines. And the question that I'm asking this morning is, when we talk about human dignity, the value of life, we live in a world where we try to eliminate human suffering as much as possible. I'm asking, why? On what basis? How do we think about this? Why are we so repelled by sexism and racism and the bad treatments of the poor and the disabled? Where do these beliefs come from? Why does it seem to be so natural in most of us? Can Christianity account for this? Can other worldviews account for it? What does it even mean to be human? And again, I'm thinking now outside of a biblical worldview. What does it mean to be human? What sets us apart? What makes us different? Some have tried to answer the question in a number of different ways. Some have said, it is our intelligence. I'm not completely convinced about that. Some have said, no, it's, a, it's our intelligence. The fact that the, the leap from all other natural kinds to us, our intelligence is the biggest leap. We are far more intelligent than anything else. That's what sets us apart. So then my question is this. What about those who are cognitively impaired? Does that mean they're less human? And most of us here in this room would say, of course not. They are fully human. They are fully dignified and they have worth and value. So it cannot be simply our intelligence that sets us apart. Some have said, well, it's not our intelligence, it's the fact that we're economic beings. Imagine being an alien coming down and just observing humanity. Most of what we do is driven by what we find in our pockets, right, in our wallets. We're running around saving and spending and, and wearing and buying. That is what defines us. I mean, I don't see my black Labrador drawing up a budget and trying to figure out, you know, what to do with a few little uh, bunny, you know, not bunny things, but um, little foods or whatever. But then the question is, okay, well, what about those who have zero economy? What about those who are so poor they have nothing? Does that make them less human? I know some people treat them that way. Most of us here would say, no, no, of course not. They're fully human. They're fully human. And they're valuable. And they have worth. Others have said, well, it's, it's not our intelligence. It's not, our, um, it, it's not the fact that we're economic beings. It's the fact that we have self-determination. What does that mean? Basically means that we choose. We decide. We set goals for ourselves. We try and achieve them. And when we fail, we go watch Oprah and open up a magazine and read a book and have life coaches but we decide and we choose. 
that famous poem Invictus says it this way, I'm the master of my fate and I am the captain of my soul. So if that were true, I asked the question, well, what about those whose freedom has been completely taken away from them? What about those who have no choice? What about those in slavery? What about the unborn? Are those less human because they don't have self-determination? And I think you and I would stand up and say, no, they're human. They're fully human. There's dignity and worth and value that needs to be fought for there. So I don't think any of these three things answers the question, well, what makes us human and why do we have human dignity? So again, where does this all come from? Now, there are a a large number of different worldviews out there. But probably the greatest one that is coming on our doorstep, the one that if you are just switching on TV, if you're opening a book, if you're in a doctor's room and you open up a magazine, if you send your kids to any school or if you send your kids to university, the worldview which we are coming face to face with every day is the atheistic worldview, the naturalistic worldview. We can explain everything without the need for God or God's. So I want to ask the question, can a naturalistic worldview account for the fact that somehow we live as if humans have value? And I want to show my hand again, and this is my second point for the morning, that there is no such thing as human dignity without God. There is no such thing as human dignity without God. I'm not arguing that those who don't know God treat others as if they've got no dignity. I'm saying at a philosophical level, at the world of ideas, when we say, well, why do we treat people with dignity? The worldview cannot account for that. It cannot explain for that. It cannot explain the reason why we treat one another in this way. See, it basically goes like this. If we are just... Somewhere on this evolutionary scale, and we got here through a bunch of undirected, random processes. No mind, no heart, no will, no desire behind it all. Just random, purely natural. Then what makes us different to anything else in the natural order? Some of you sitting here saying, oh, but Stephen, you know, we also, we love to treat puppies nicely. And we like to look after the seals and the dolphins. And I'm, okay, that's fine. But what about cockroaches, right? I don't see any protests about us killing cockroaches. So what's the difference between me exterminating the cockroaches in my house and Adolf Hitler exterminating six million Jews? If we are just biological matter with no soul, no design, purely randomly got there, what's the difference? Tomato, tomato, right? In fact, if anything, Charles Darwin, he was kind of the mastermind behind evolution, he said, well, nature, we just need to go to Kruger Park to see it, is red in tooth and claw, which means evolution is defined by violence. So if it's all about the strong eating the weak, then we should be giving Adolf Hitler a prize as opposed to making him out like he's some mega villain. So maybe you think I'm being a little bit snarky. I love that word. Learned it the other day. A little bit condescending. And in fact, there are many very intelligent thinkers, atheistic thinkers, 
who realized when we eliminate God, when we eliminate the need to, to include God in our explanation or in the reason for all things, when we only look to the natural world to explain all things, they have realized that the natural and logical outcome of their thinking is, in fact, that human beings have no dignity or inherent worth and value. Bertrand Russell, famous atheist from a previous generation, he said that anyone who is mentally deficient should be sterilized. Richard Dawkins is still alive. He goes as far as to say this. It is immoral not to abort a baby diagnosed with Down syndrome. Can you see how this is a natural outcome of a non-theistic worldview? Charles Darwin himself, the, the kind of godfather of evolution, he again realized this, that if there is no God, if we're just this random uh, uh, organism at the end of a whole bunch of unguided forces, then why do we treat humans differently to animals? He says, no, 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 there's, there's no difference. Listen to what he says here. Man scans with scrupulous care the character and pedigree of his horses, cattle, and dogs before he matches them. But when he comes to his own marriage, he rarely or never takes any such care. Both sexes ought to refrain from marriage if they are in any marked degree inferior in body or mind. Now I'm going to quote Hitler, and I want to say something about that quickly. It sounds like a cheap shot. Well, not all atheists are like Hitler, and we'll talk about that just now. But what I want to show you is that Hitler's worldview was informed by Charles Darwin's worldview. If there is no difference between human beings and the rest of humanity, why treat them differently? Right? So this is what Hitler says. He says, nature is cruel, therefore we too can be cruel. There's no difference between a bunch of wild dogs hunting down a buffalo and what I'm doing, so chill. See, this has philosophical foundations. In Mein Kampf, Hitler said this, if nature does not wish that weaker individuals should mate with the stronger, she wishes even less that a superior race should intermingle with an inferior one. Because in such cases, all her efforts throughout hundreds of thousands of years to establish an evolutionary higher state of being, this is where he grounded his ideology, may thus be rendered futile. He who does not wish to fight in this world, where permanent struggle is the law of life, Gain evolution, they do not have the right to exist. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist who lived through the camps in World War II. And he survived and he, and he wrote a lot about it. And he said this, I'm convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblinka and Majdanek were not ultimately, sorry, were ultimately prepared, not in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desks and lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. In other words, the gas chambers in the Holocaust was not a product of just a bunch of evil men who got together and were totally cooked. Rather, it was when clever people in academic chambers came to the conclusion there is no God. And because there is no God, we are only here because of blind, random, undirected forces. Therefore, there is no such thing as human dignity. Nature is cruel. 
Therefore, we too can be cruel. Now, if you're here this morning and you've got an atheistic person in your family or you yourself are a cynic or an atheist, am I saying that all atheists are going to act like Adolf Hitler? I'm not saying that for a second. Most atheists are kind, generous people. The question I'm asking is on what basis? If your worldview excludes a God and therefore excludes human dignity, love the fact that you treat your granny differently to your Labrador. You put the Labrador down when she's sick, but you try to extend the life of your family. Love that, but just why? Can your worldview account for that? The point of all of this is, if there is no God, it is an enormous step of faith to say on one hand, we are just products of blind evolutionary forces and humans are worthy of dignity and we need to fight for their rights. That is a leap of faith because there is no evidence from within this worldview that leads you to conclude that humans have worth and value and dignity. Here's one more example of that. I know I'm quoting a lot, but it's so useful just not hearing my words, but other people's words on this. There was a comment uh, on the New York Times article and they were talking about the meaning of life and he said this, if you think you're depressed, you're about to get more depressed. When the Hubble telescope pointed to a black spot in the sky about the size of an eraser head for a week, it found 30,000 galaxies over 13 billion years old with many trillions of stars and many, many, many more trillions of inferred planets. So how significant are you? You are not a unique snowflake. You are not special. You are just another piece of decaying matter on the compost pile of this world. Nothing of who you are and what you will do in the short time you're here will matter. Everything short of that realization is vanity. So, stop. Don't read on. How would you predict that sentence should end? You're nothing but some decaying matter in this tiny little speck of dust called earth and everything's going to come and go and your existence will not matter to anyone. Therefore, how would someone conclude that? Therefore, so, so it's very similar to what you just said, Melody. Celebrate life in every moment, admire its wonders, and love without reservation. Now, this is a very popular way of thinking. Because there is no ultimate meaning or purpose, let's just live life to the full. Let's live without any regrets. Now, let's put on our philosophical hats for a second. You see, when you use the word therefore or so, the premise you're making implies a conclusion you're coming to. I'm hungry, so I'm going to go out and buy something to eat. I love fishing, therefore I'm going to take every opportunity to go fishing. Right? I want to ask you how you get from life is meaningless. You are meaningless. You're not a snowflake. You're not special. Therefore, where does love come from? Enjoying beauty. Finding meaning and purpose and value. 
How does that last sentence follow logically from the first 80% of that paragraph on the screen behind me? The answer is it doesn't flow. Conclusion does not come from the premise. And yet this is so popular around us. And I think that these questions are very difficult to answer from within a framework that excludes God, a non-theistic, an atheistic, a naturalistic worldview. In fact, not only would I argue that you can't answer these questions without God, I I want to go to my point number three this morning. Christianity imparts the highest value and greatest worth to humankind. Christianity imparts the highest value and the greatest worth to mankind. So for the rest of our time together, I want to show you that this does equal that. That once we understand the premise of why human beings have dignity, that therefore makes sense. It makes logical sense. And what we experience around us, the way we live life, most of us, most of, most of us are not here to exterminate humanity. We are here to preserve the life of human beings around us. I think that therefore can only come from a worldview that acknowledges the existence of God and later on specifically Jesus. So how does this work? Well, Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27 says this. So then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, this word's coming up again and again, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now if you read the creation story before that, God creates. And every time he creates, he said, it is good. The Hebrew word is tov, it is tov. He creates light and it's good. He creates seasons and it's good. And he separates land and sea, he says it's good. And then he creates a plants and organic matter and he says it is good. And he creates animals and the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And after every one of those, he says, it is good. Which is why I think Christians should look at our natural world and say, it is good. And Christians should be preserving our world. And we should be pro-environmental management and, and all these wonderful things. But then God comes along to a very specific part of his creation, you and me. He said, I'm just going to create it and call it good. Something different is going to happen here. The language the Bible uses is he created man in his image. Now, before we even understand what that means, can you see there is a difference There's a difference between Bambi and you and me, according to the scriptures. I think we live like that, whether we believe in God or not. So what does it mean that you're made in God's image? Well, to help us understand this, um, I'm going to probably get to a time where I I need to stop using my boys as a, a sermon illustration. But I've got two boys, eight and six, Levi and Nate. And it is amazing because you guys have come up to us and you've maybe been looking at Nate and, and you look at me and you say, your Nate looks like you, Steve. Some of you have said, well, no, no, Nate looks like Bianca. Others have come up to me with, with Levi and say, oh, Steve, every time I look at Levi, I see you. And others of you have come up and said, no, 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 we, we see Bianca. 
oddly enough, most of you said, Nate looks more like me. Whereas when I think back to when I was six, seven, eight years old, I, I think I looked more like Levi. Nonetheless, this interesting thing is happening. That you look at them and you see me. You see Bianca. Now something else is starting to happen. The older I get, the more people like you come up to me and say, hey Steve, you're looking more and more like your dad. And I choose to take that as a compliment, especially when it comes to his legacy in leading churches. But now I'm not saying for one second that the image of God means that you and I physically look like God. You and I have two arms because God has two arms. There are some religious sects that do believe that. You know, we've got 10, 10 fingers and 10 toes because God's got 10 fingers and 10 toes. That's not for one second what I mean. So what do I mean by the fact that we created the image of God? And here's something for you to write down, a definition of the image of God. God has uniquely, uniquely, because we're different, God has uniquely invested something in us that is designed to reflect the attributes and person of God to the world around us. I know that's quite a mindful, but just let your mind pass over those words. God has uniquely invested something in us that is designed to reflect the attributes and the person of God to the world around us. We were uh, at a men's event just a couple of weeks ago and it was the night of the eclipse and Craig Sparks just brought out this metaphor again and this is exactly what it means. We're looking at the moon and there it is, full and bright in the sky. But most of you know that the moon has no light source of its own. The only reason it can show light towards us is because it is reflecting the light of the sun to the earth. And yes, sometimes things get in the way like an eclipse. And we are going to talk about evil and suffering in a few weeks' time. Things get in the way of man reflecting the image of God to the world around them. Nonetheless, that is God's intention. That you and I reflect the attributes and the person of God to the world around them so that when we decide, when we live, when we move, when we have our being, creation at some point says that points towards another different light source and that can only be God. That is what it means. We're called to live in this. We're called to grow in this. And we are most human when we are connected to our creator. We are flourishing when you are living according to his design for us. And by the way, there is no exclusion clause in Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27. In other words, it's, it's all humans. All races. People who have high and low IQ. People who have high and low EQ. People who have high and low dollar bills in their pockets. All people have been created in the image of God. And this, by the way, is why Christians have been and will continue to be at the forefront of fighting for those who have no rights. It's just so appropriate. We had Door of Hope up here. And that Door of Hope is doing that because of their belief in human dignity. And when a baby is discarded as something less than human, someone who's following God says, no, not on my watch, because they 
have been created in the image of God. And we're going to restore that or die trying. This tells us that you are not an accidental blip on the radar of time. You are not a random bunch of decaying matter. You have been knit together in your mother's womb. God has an eternal purpose for every single one of you. So that in 10 million years from now, it matters to God who you are and that you were created and that you existed and continue to exist. Not only do I think Christianity gives humans incredible dignity, and that I think is reflected in the world around us, but I believe the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest demonstration the greatest demonstration of human value. We were doing a series last year and we spoke about the fact that one of the ways we determine something's value is by how much someone is willing to pay for it. Recently, I was listening to a guy, he was in fact a pastor, and they had this baseball in their family. All right, and a baseball, I don't know what a baseball costs, but I can only imagine a normal baseball, if you had to go to the American equivalent of Mr. Price Sports, would be $10, $20. They had this baseball that they could prove their granny had all the clippings, they had the ticket studs and the, the photos to prove that this baseball was a very special baseball. Not only did it have Babe Ruth's signature on it, Babe Ruth, if you don't know, was a very famous it's kind of like Graham Pollock, you know, one of the previous generation greats. Not only did it have Babe Ruth's signature on it, and ordinarily that would make itself for several hundred dollars, but they could prove that it was the baseball from a very famous game where Babe Ruth hits a very famous home run. Now, they wanted to hold on to this, but both of his parents, they never had medical aid, needed surgery, needed help medically. And of course, they could not pay for it as a family. So they decided to take the evidence to the powers that be and put this ball out for auction. They were expecting, hey, listen, if we get $50,000, $80,000 for this, well, that's awesome. That's going to help us. They sold that baseball for over $800,000, about 1.3 million rand for a baseball. A second-hand baseball <laughs> that most people just leave lying around in the rain. Our value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And every single person in this room and every single human being that has ever walked the face of the earth, regardless of how culture has treated them, was determined by God of heaven as being of highest value because I am going to lay down my life for that person. God's not just up in heaven with some sort of eternal bank account, writes a check and goes on unchanged. No, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, chose to lay down His life for broken humanity. And in doing that, imparted ultimate dignity to every single human being because that was the ultimate price. There will never be a price like that paid ever again. And one day you and I will come to see it for what it is fully. Now, not only did Jesus do that and pay that price for us, 
just want to raise the bar a bit more. See, how does the world talk about value when it comes to humans? It's usually by something you inherently have or something you do, right? So the world, on average, will treat people who are good-looking differently. The world, on average, will treat people with lots of money differently. We get this phrase, VIP, very important person. Because the rest of us are VAPs, very average people. So if you've got lots of money and if you've got lots of fame and if you've got this incredible musical talent or this scientific mind and you contribute in great ways to society, the world treats you like a VIP until you lose that value. You lose your looks in a car crash. You lose your money in the stock markets. You lose your ability to do what made you so great. And suddenly you're treated by the world like a nobody. And yet, what did God do? God didn't say, listen, I need you to do A, B, and C, and I need, need you to perform, and, and I need you to be the best moral Christian, and I need you to, to, to do that. And if you do that, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll finish the equation and I'll die for you. No, you see, God decided in his heart to do that before you and I lifted a finger. Before you got your first A, we're still waiting for that A. (laughs) Before you made that sports team, before you made your first million, before she said yes or he said yes, before you achieved the kinds of things that the world honor us for, before you failed in your marriage, Before you realize there's something different about you. Before you failed in business. Before you never finished matric. Whatever it is, the failure that you hold in your mind, before all of that, your highest accolades and your greatest failures, before all of that, God said, I'm going to pay in full before you do a thing. And I'm absolutely convinced that the greatest thing that can change in here, and I, I think only God can do that, and I'm asking right now that he is doing that, is when that switch goes on in us, when we get it, when we wake up in the morning and we are absolutely convinced, not only in our minds but in our hearts, I don't have to do a thing to earn the favor of the greatest being in this universe. Because he calls me son. And he calls me daughter. And I don't work towards favor. I work from favor. I don't have to earn his love. He has demonstrated his love on the cross. And when I do fail, I don't have to go groveling to God. He welcomes me and he points towards his son on the cross. And he says, that is where your failure was paid for. And he puts his arms around me. When we get that, when that light goes on, there ain't nothing that's switching that light off again. You see, we do have a man who paid for us. 
we do have a man who did this, but not with money, but with his life. Not to use you and me as a commodity in a reality TV show, but to set us free and give us glory. Not for short-term gains, but for eternal life and glory. Not mocking and devaluing our birth, but to give us new birth so that we can walk in his kingdom as his sons and his daughters. Then there is no other worldview on the face of this earth that does that. And I believe even those who in their minds have made up there is no God, still live as if that is true. And I want to pray for us because I I believe we've not just done some apologetics this morning, but I also want to pray for those of us for whom that light's starting to go on. And for whatever reason, you walked into this room feeling less than human. And I don't mean because you only had three hours sleep last night. We're familiar with that. I'm talking about you have felt devalued. You have felt mistreated. You know what it means to be scorned by humanity. And I just want you to feel, and I mean that, feel the pleasure of your dad in heaven. So let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that we are called to worship you with our minds and with our hearts, with our strength. And God, I thank you that not only do you make sense of everything, which you do, the thing you want for us is not just to make sense. The thing you want for us is to walk in the image you created us in, to be connected to you. And Jesus, you're the one who made that possible. And Father, I'm asking that the work that you're doing right now is that there are switches going on around this room. Maybe for the first time. People walked in here feeling like an outcast from the rest of humanity and have been mistreated in some way. They are hearing this pleasure of their Father in heaven and their value. And they can look at the cross and see the highest debt that was ever paid was paid for me that means God is now my treasure because I am his Holy Spirit cement that in us may we walk in this dignity for the rest of our lives and also God I ask that we treat others around us as image bearers When the world discards, when the world downplays, when the world treats as less than, that people in this room will stand up and treat with the highest value and highest dignity. God, give us opportunity for that and give us the grace we need for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.